Hi, it's Dr. Sandy Laura Kramers again. We're here for our second podcast of the EYE show. I hope you guys will enjoy this series because it's meant to help many of my patients that have been asking for this for many, many years. So if you're listening to me on the podcast, of course, hopefully you're blinking and uh, enjoying the ride. But if you're listening to me on the video, please close your eyes if I'm not showing you anything interesting. We've been practicing this with a lot of patients of using your eyes for only eye-worthy things. So if I show you something interesting or somebody you love shows you something interesting, you open your eyes. If you're at work and you need to open your eyes, you do. Otherwise, keep your eyes closed or blink every two to three seconds as much as you can. So our episode today is gonna talk about screen use and children. And I think a lot of us, especially parents, are concerned about this. A lot of what I'll talk about has to do with adults as well. Very, very common sense. And we want to talk a little bit about what is excessive screen use, what does that mean for yourself as an adult, for your children, grandchildren, so forth, your friends, kids, you know, if you're aunt or uncle. And so today we'll talk a little bit uh, about those kinds of issues. And in the first episode, we talked a lot about kind of the idea of what does dry eye really mean? What are the symptoms? What is the main cause? and in terms of what are the key symptoms you're looking for. So as I mentioned in the first uh, podcast, you should never ever notice your eyes. You should not notice any burning, tearing, itching, redness. Some people even notice kind of this just fatigue where they just can't even open their eyes at the end of the day, or even headaches at the end of the day, which believe it or not, can come sometimes from dryness. And you've been using your eyes and your muscles all the time, and if there's not enough oil or water or mucin, the three components of the tear, you start to notice to some symptoms of dry eye. So we want people to be aware of this. So if your child ever complains of my eyes don't feel great or they just start rubbing their eyes or they're red or they're tearing or they're squinting or they have headaches at the end of uh, the school uh, day, you want to have them see their pediatrician and of course an IMD or a very good optometrist. So today we're gonna talk about four key things. The first one is general strategies to keep your kids healthy, happy, and safe. I know this is kind of general. It's related to this, uh, the dry eye issue. Number two, we'll talk about how many hours are too much for kids and adults. Number three, we'll talk about strategies to keep kids off of screens. And number four, strategies to keep their eyes and soul safe. So. Uh, today we have Katia in the in the background and George behind me, who have been our my uh, right hand man and woman trying to help us get these podcasts going. But many of you know I have six children, and that has not been easy. Uh, so in addition to being a surgeon, I kind of feel like an expert in children because we've had um, you know quite a ride with the six children. The ranges of age right now are 21 to eight, so it's been very interesting. And so I wanted to start off with a little bit of a kind of joke and a story. And these uh, have helped me kind of in my parenting style for many, many years. Uh, I will be the first to admit I'm a royal failure as a parent in many instances, such as this morning with one of my teenage college sons. Anyway, but... Um, it's tough. We all know as parents, you know, there's no perfect parent except for maybe Jesus and Mary. I mean, Mary and Joseph, <laughs> but Jesus was a perfect kid. So, I mean, that was that was easy. Anyway, but my um, first joke is kind of, I asked already Katya and George and they didn't know the answer. So does anybody out there know why angels fly? And I love this because it's so true. Well, the, the joke is, well, because they take themselves so lightly. You know, the idea is that a parent, you have to kind of, and Katya's laughing. <laughs> Thank you, Katya. Um, it's, it's really true that if you take yourself really seriously and life is always so hard and, and you know, everything's so horrible and you're always kind of looking at the negative, it makes life 
harder for everybody, especially for yourself. And so that's been really helpful for me in my parenting style, even though I go to confession at least you know, many times a month, just because I got to start over and start over. And you, you know, you make mistakes as a parent and as a person. And then the second story I want to talk about is a true story, which also helped me tremendously. Uh, in terms of this issue of it really does relate to screens and kids in the end, so just bear with me. But um, many of you know I was at Harvard for 10 years, and I had four boys while, while I was at Harvard, and it was not easy. And I had uh, my first daughter. I, was, I had my first daughter, and I, I went down to Florida to recover a bit from maternity leave because it was in the middle of winter when I had her. And my husband was working in New York City and commuting back and forth between Miami and New York City. It was crazy. Our house was in Boston. I was on maternity leave. It was crazy. And I remember looking at my daughter after having four boys who were great, but difficult. And she was just so perfect. And I said to myself, oh my gosh, I'll never ever be able to say no to this little girl. I mean, this is, this is bad, but I just can't. I just can't imagine ever having to say no to her. So it was late one night and my husband was in New York and I was in Miami at my parents' house and I called my husband. I said, you know, I know this is really stupid and probably not very Christian, but I just want you to know that I'll never ever be able to say no to Mary. And he's like, well, okay, you know, whatever. And I was like, you have to be the one. I won't be able to. So he's like, okay, whatever. And, you know, we, we finished the conversation. And about two hours later, I was um, flipping through the channels, which I generally don't watch TV, and, but I, my parents have a great TV. So I was watching um, this great uh, TV station called EWTN, which uh, stands for Eternal World Television Network. It's very geeky of me, but I, I love this station. And there was a great... This, this wonderful, wonderful priest named Bishop Fulton Sheen, who I think now is Blessed Bishop Fulton Sheen. Anyway, he was a, a new, I think he was New York City or a bishop in somewhere important in the United States and had these little kind of TV shows that are on YouTube, by the way, and they're really, really good. Even though they're black and white, they're really good. So he told this story and it was recorded and it's incredible. So it's very, it's, it's helped me so much in my life. I just want to share it with all of you. So he tells the story of this very well-known saint called Padre Pio. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of him, but he's a very well-known Catholic saint uh, who lived many years ago. Uh, I think he died in the 1950s, I think. But he was a, from, from Italy. He lived in Italy. And he was known for being a mystic, which means that he could kind of, um, you know, uh, he was known for knowing people's sins when they, you know, walked in. He was uh, known to be able to bilocate, which is possible according to physics. My husband is, has a PhD in physics from Harvard, and he's explained how that is actually possible because they've, they've actually just recently proven that you can have two, uh, I think, protons at the same location in two different, lo two different parts of the world. I think it was Fermilab and somewhere in England at the same time. So that is possible. But anyway, so there's amazing, amazing stories about Padre Pio. And so he was a very holy man, and he would spend hours and hours in the confessional, and people from all over the world would come see him, and, you know, sometimes they'd wait for a long time, and he had a tiny little church and a tiny little confessional with a tiny little curtain that you'd, you'd open to go into the confessional and, you know, go out, and there'd be people waiting for, you know, a long time outside, and uh, this was many years ago, and so there was a woman that walked into the confessional and kneeled and said, you know, Father, forgive me, for I have sinned, and immediately he said, and this does not usually happen when you go to confession, but he said, criminal, criminal, criminal. 
And she got up and she left and she was horrified. And people were kind of like, oh, what'd you do? You know, and so she runs out. She goes outside of the church and she's obviously very upset. She finds the closest priest and he, she says, why did Padre Pio call me criminal? And they're like, we don't know. You got to go back and ask him. So she goes back the next day and she's waiting in line, the same, you know, as before. And she kneels and she said, Padre Pio, why did you treat me so badly? Why did you call me criminal? And he said, because I saw the souls of your three children in hell because of your permissiveness. And I was like, oh, and so as soon as he said that, I was like, oh, I called my husband and I said, oh, my gosh, I told him the story. And I was like, I will say no to Mary every single day. <laughs> so that was kind of for me very formative because I am a Christian and I do believe in heaven and hell. And anyway, so that for me was helpful because as a mother, uh, you love your kids. You want the best for them. You want to do everything for them. You want to say yes to everything because you love them. And that story for me was so helpful because that is actually not really love. You're actually hurting them because you want them to, in my situation, of course, go to heaven. If you have faith, you want them to be happy eternally. And I believe there is eternity. So that was very helpful because it kind of guided me like, look, look, I need to think about the long game, not the short game, not what gives me pleasure or what gives my kids pleasure in the short, short term, but the long game. And of course, I failed this many, many times personally and as a parent. But I think we keep trying, you know, you keep trying. So that was helpful because it relates to my general philosophy of how to raise children, how to use screens, how to keep them safe, both their eyes and their soul when they're using uh, screens, how to teach them moderation. It, it, it really has helped me in every aspect. So we have tried to, you know, try to use that, or I've tried personally to use that to help me. And, and this relates on how I was raised and how my husband was raised. So I'm from Bolivia, South America, and my husband's from Boksmeer, the Netherlands, a very tiny town in the Netherlands. And we were raised completely different. Even though we're both Catholic, we were raised very different. His uh, parents would default always say no. If he asked anything, the default was no. I was raised where the default was always yes. My father, uh, who's a, a wonderful cardiothoracic surgeon and uh, very accomplished, trained with uh, the first trans heart transplant surgeons in the country, uh, Dr. Uh, DeBakey and Dr. Denton Cooley, very, very wonderful surgeon. His philosophy is you should always say yes to the children. And let's just put it this way. <laughs> Um, it, it's been hard. <laughs> Saying yes to your kids is not the solution. You know, it doesn't really lead to happiness sometimes in a family. Uh, so it's one of those things I've learned by, by looking at, at families. Of course, if I have a big family, I have six kids, I always look at the happiest families and research them and see what did they get right, what did they get wrong. And, you know, we make mistakes, as I mentioned, but you try to take the pearls from the good families. And so one of the things I have learned, and there's many things I've learned from good families, but it's important to try to have kind of a general unity, if you can, uh, trying to be strict early on, very loving, cheerful, you know, funny, but don't be their friend. You can't be your child's friend early on. You just can't. And if you try, it's going to turn out the wrong way. I, that's what I've, what's, what I've learned. You don't have to be terribly mean and, and nasty, but you want to be strict. The stricter you are early on, the better, because it's all downhill from there. And I've, we've learned that. My older kids, we have two in college, one's at Harvard, one's at Columbia, have said how we've, you know, become so lax as in our old age. We are so, so lax. You know, the, the younger kids would have, you know, they would have never gotten away with what the younger kids get away with. And they're probably true. That's probably right. But we have the idea that, you know, 
we want to try to teach the older kids as well as we can so they can also help us remind us how to stay strong as we get older. So that's my general philosophy. And so I do think that when we talk about how many uh, hours is too much on the screen, it really generally depends on the child and in and, and the sense that there is a, a maximum, we think. So I mentioned in the paper that we got published in the American Journal of Ophthalmology, and I highly recommend everybody prints it out and reads it. Um, it has really uh, interesting uh, points there. But the key thing was that in the New England Journal of Medicine in 1992 or so, a group noted that four hours should be the max for adults. Because after four hours a day, the dry eye symptoms increase, and they noticed it seemed to be statistically significant. And that was many years ago, and that was adults. And now, in 2021, that's almost laughable. What kind of job can you have where you're on screens less than four hours a day? It's, it's very difficult. So with children, I would have to say it should be much less than four hours a day, but it depends a little bit also on their mybography. So you've seen this before. If you've seen my videos, I'm showing it on the video version, but everybody in the world should look like this top line where these white lines that look like kind of piano keys. So imagine your white piano keys on your piano. They're filled with oil, and those should stay until you're about 90 or 100 years old. I've seen many people that look like that. But what's been happening and what generally does happen in, in people is that they do start to dry up where the dark, these dark spots are scar tissue. So if a child comes in and they look like grade three or four atrophy, meaning these white piano looking glands, oil glands are drying up, I tell the parents they can't go into the IT profession. They can't be a computer programmer until we fix the blinking problem and maybe even the blue light problem because their glands are going to dry up and they will be miserable. <laughs> That's what we think. And it's, it's crazy because I don't have the data to prove that per se. We, don't have, uh, we haven't proven causation in the paper. We've proven association. But that's what I'm seeing. And I'm seeing a lot of computer programmers that for whatever reason, they are coming in with significant symptoms and not even able to look at a screen. So there are many factors. So if a patient has an auto, a child has an autoimmune disease, such as rheumatoid arthritis, or even eczema, or any type of skin condition that's severe, uh, Sjogren's syndrome, uh, post-transplant and had chemo and radiation, and their glands kind of look like grade three, four atrophy, the screen use should be probably limited to less than two hours. And we follow it over time to see if that's too much. We don't know. So it's really a tricky one. So the same thing with adults. We base the decision on how your glands are doing. The less screen time we know, the better. And so the American Academy of Pediatrics did say that social, that children uh, between less than 18 months should really avoid all screen time. But many of you have seen, you know, how some babysitters or even parents will put the iPad in the crib to keep them quiet. You know, there's the screens are becoming a babysitter uh, in, in a bad sense. And they recommended children between 18 and 24 months to have high quality programming with parents at parents' discretion. But that could be six hours of screen time because the parents just don't know the danger. And I'm going to talk a little bit about what exactly that danger is in just a moment. Ages two to five, limit screen use to less than one hour per day of high quality programs. And ages greater than six, 
says, quote, place consistent limits on the time spent using media, the types of media, make sure media does not take the place of adequate sleep, physical activity, other behaviors essential to health. And so the American Academy of Pediatrics has some, some guidelines which are somewhat helpful but vague. And they're vague because we don't have data to prove what we're saying except to say that it's well, they're vague because we don't have the, the studies that really prove the point, except to say we have to be very careful. Because if you teach a young child, especially less than two years old and less, even less than six years old, to look at a screen, what starts to happen is their brain, inside their brain, and we go through the actual places in the brain this happens, starts to decrease their blinking rate. And that's a fact. And they start to teach, the brain starts to teach itself to literally ignore the need to blink, ignore symptoms of red or of discomfort or burning, and focus and focus and literally don't blink. And as we talked about before, when you blink, you're milking the oil out of that gland, which is crucial. And if you don't blink, just like you, if you don't milk a cow, those glands will dry up. So it's crucial to make sure children are blinking and that they do not basically train their brain to not blink and ignore the need to blink. So if all of you out there, and I do not recommend this per se, but if we were to basically not blink for, let's say, three to five minutes, all of us, most 99% of us would have horrible redness or, or burning and pain to the point that you'd need to physically close your eyes. It's a biological reaction, a reflex, because the cornea is so important for the key, a key sense, the, the vision, obviously. So when you give a child an iPad or an iPhone when you're eating dinner or you are at a restaurant or you want them to shut up, it's a very dangerous device because we are seeing people that have forgotten how to blink, the oil glands are dried up, they're coming in with chronic pain, which we've talked about in the past is related to a pretty significant difficulty in life, similar to chronic chest pain like chronic angina in terms of quality of life scores. And that can be devastating. We don't want that for anybody because it is very difficult. And as I've mentioned before, we do not have a proven way to regrow these glands. As many of you know, I've been doing quite a bit of research trying to regrow these glands. And I think we can by inserting into the gland things like platelets, your own platelets, your own stem cells and cord blood serum. And we think we can regrow them, but we have not proven this as a fact. We've had success you know, about 25 patients, but it's not a full regrowth. It's maybe 20, 25% regrowth. And that's incredibly expensive, not FDA approved, very uncomfortable, and not necessarily a cure. So this is something that we want to save those glands. So as a parent, as an educator, as a doctor of children, you want to be aware of this. So the, the things you can do to uh, basically kind of keep kids off screens is number one, get a mybography every year. You need to talk about this with children. You need to say, this is what your glands look like, and this is what you need your glands to look like when you're 100 years old, and this is what we're going to do. You talk, we talk a lot in our house about how Google and YouTube and all these great technologies that have their good side, a lot of internet is making billions of dollars out of our kids' addictions and our addictions, Right. We have to talk about the fact that a lot of these screens and devices are trying to get boys and men addicted to porn. It's a fact. We got to talk about it because they are the enemy, really. The addiction is the enemy, and we have to work as a family. So it's us against them. 
You do not want to be a pawn in somebody's chess game to make a billion dollars to sacrifice your health. You don't want to do that. You want to teach your children that. So therefore, you use your eyes for only eye-worthy things. If there's a stupid commercial, close your eyes, listen to it if you want, but do not sacrifice your eyes. If there's a stupid show, don't watch it. If there's a stupid movie, turn it off. So one, one of the um, little stories I'd like to tell is a classic one that is just awesome. Uh, that I highly recommend many husbands out there do this uh, for their wives. But uh, the headmaster of the Heights School, where our sons go, which I absolutely love the school, the headmaster tells this great story of his father uh, and his and the boys were one day on Sunday, were watching the finales of a very important soccer game in Spain. And the mother was making dinner and dinner was ready. And so all of a sudden they hear the mother go, you know, dinner's ready. And the father, they're all watching the father to see if he's going to flinch. And he doesn't. He keeps watching the game. And then again, she says, dinner's ready. You know, and the pitch is kind of getting higher and higher. And they're all in front of the TV watching. This was many, many years ago. And so they're all watching the dad to see if he moves and he doesn't. So then a third time, dinner's ready and getting really angry. And so, you know, again, dad's, it's the last like few minutes of this really important soccer game that they've been waiting for for so long to watch. Finally, they hear her footsteps coming, you know, up the stairs. And she says, well, you all clearly love this TV more than me. And so he rips the TV out of the wall, opens the window and throws it out the window. So he's like, he's just, and he just didn't say anything. And they all just look at each other like, okay, well, we don't love, he doesn't love the TV more than you. So it's one of those things that sometimes you have to take dramatic steps to show the love that your children really need right now from you as a parent and not as a friend, because they cannot uh, sometimes say no to themselves in this difficult addiction. So keep that in mind to do that. Another strategy we use to keep them off screens is family quiet time. This is really, really helpful. And I thank the Moynihan family uh, for teaching us this. This is where dad usually, sometimes mom joins in because mom's usually busy cooking and with the baby and all this other stuff. But dad sits down for one hour a day whenever possible, especially on the weekend, and just reads books. You know, of course, you want to blink, too, when you read books, but they're less addictive than screen time. You're, when you turn the page, we think you blink a little bit more than if you just have a screen right there in front of you. No screens allowed. Everybody's quiet, and you just read with Dad. And, he, and you, everybody reads their own material, or Dad might read out loud. But the idea is that you are basically not on a screen. Uh, we take a lot of family trips together. We go uh, climb mountains, you know, things like that. Go out as a family. Get your kids in sports. Have them be outside. You know, try to enjoy nature as much as possible. It's crucial to keep them off the screens. Really try to do everything you can when they're young to limit their screen time. When they go to kids' houses, we always ask, is there a screen? Is there a smartphone? A smartphone is a Trojan horse. Do not underestimate the power and negative power of that screen. So we try to really only let our kids go to people's houses, which, believe it or not, don't have a TV. I know it sounds strange. We don't have a TV. It's, it seems so crazy. How can you live without a TV? Believe it or not, you'll be fine. And our kids, you know, even though they've complained from time to time and we do see things as a family or movies here and there, we do have a lot of books in our house and we really try to limit screen time. Uh, so those are the key strategies that have helped us. And then what are the strategies that keep their eyes safe? 
So one of the most important things you've heard me talk about, and I'll keep talking about this whenever we talk about dry eye, is the warm compress. So the heat, the the warm towel, you know, washing your face with warm water morning and night. It's crucial for kids to learn that early on. It's crucial for your kids to see you doing this. Uh, my kids see me with a warm towel every morning, you know, washing my eyes, either with dry heat or wet heat. I prefer wet heat, but the studies have said dry or wet is fine. Uh, so just the heat is the only way to open the pore of the meibomian gland, the orifice, and try to liquefy that oil a bit. And as you blink after the heat or gently massage up and down or side to side, that blinking and the, the kind of gentle compression is trying to milk out that oil so your body will produce more oil. So that's crucial for kids to learn every, every day, just like brushing your teeth. Do that every single day. When they're on the screen, we, of course, limit screen time. You know, the, the little kids are allowed 30 minutes a day if you have homework. Now with Zoom, obviously, it's been very, very difficult, but we still try to limit as much as possible. So really trying to just kind of think about, you know, talk to your children about what's safe for them. And a lot, as I mentioned, is based on their myography. But even with a normal myography, you want to still teach them to, to have that temperance to limit their screen time. And then the idea of looking away. So every 15, 20 minutes, looking away, 20 feet away for 20 seconds, blinking, trying to close your eyes. I, they, my kids know I will walk around and say, blink, blink, close the, I'll turn off the screen. I'll say, okay, we're gonna take a break. You're gonna close your eyes, you're gonna blink. You know, look at a book for a few minutes. You know, have a notebook with your, when you're on Zoom, always have a notebook. So you can constantly take notes in the notebook as opposed to doing it on the screen. That's really important to kind of keep that in mind. Um, in college students, same thing. As much as you can, have your notebook near you. Tell your teacher you're not sleeping, you're going to close your eyes. They will understand. We have had a record number of teachers coming in this year with dry eye complaints and styes. It's crazy. So we do know that they will understand. And so to keep that in mind. So those are the things that have helped me throughout uh, the my career, of course, my life, and also now my children's life. I highly recommend you all pass this on because we are in a battle to keep our kids safe and both their eyes and their and their soul, as I like to say. Uh, so think about those things that you can do uh, yourself and encourage others around you. Uh, and think about those things, because you will see, all of us have seen that child in the restaurant while the parents or, or adults are talking on the screen, playing some video game they've become addicted to. And then when you take it away, the child has a temper tantrum, right? That's an addiction. You got to treat it right away because it will get out of control and then they'll come see me begging to be treated with these crazy difficult experimental uncomfortable procedures that work but are still experimental so we want to avoid that anyway i hope you enjoyed this podcast please send us your questions and comments uh, we are always here to kind of help you with any eye questions uh, and i hope you enjoyed this episode thank you